I still think that the church, the local church, needs a myriad of partners in these complicated days, especially within the context of the United States. It's it's complicated to be the church, and I think a church needs as many partners as it can. There's there's no way in the complications for which we do ministry in our context that one partnership alone can help fulfill everything the church needs to live into its future with hope and to live into what God has called it to do. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Brian Ford, Executive Director of ChurchNet. It's a Baptist network of churches, mostly in Missouri, and he's going to talk more about what ChurchNet does, both in Missouri and around the world, as well as some of his own background and his vision and hope for churches throughout our country. I've worked for ChurchNet for a number of years. I've spent the last three years as Associate Director working alongside with Brian. It's been a joy to get to know him more and to work with him, and so I'm excited to have him on the program. So here's my conversation with Brian Ford of ChurchNet. All right, well, Brian, first of all, thanks for joining us on the program. You bet. Great to be here. Glad you could do the long walk from your office on that side of the wall to this side. (laughs) The least I could do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I guess you could have made me bring my computer and microphone over to your office. That would have been nice. True, true, true. Well, you are the executive director of ChurchNet. So... Let's start there. For those that aren't familiar, what is ChurchNet? ChurchNet began in the early 2000s as a network of churches who were wanting to do work together. Uh, many of those churches had been kicked out of their their historical connections with the Missouri Baptist Convention or their local associations. And so the genesis of that movement were a group of churches coming together to do work and impact God's kingdom on their own and together as a group. Now, over time... They- ChurchNet, of course, originally was known as the Baptist General Convention of Missouri, mm-hmm. now goes by the doing business name of ChurchNet, has, of course, evolved in, in some ways during that, that process. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what, what guides ChurchNet today. Today, I think we strive to be a network of churches and organizations and individuals who are working to help the church help the church in general, not just local churches in Missouri, but even beyond, to step into the future with hope and the hope that God has for them. It's a tough day to be the church. And I think churches need a number of diverse partners that provide practical services and help for them to be an outside listening voice or an outside eye. And I think ChurchNet is really geared to provide practical help for churches, big and small, in Missouri and beyond as well, as we come alongside of them and help them walk into their future with hope. You've been on staff for about three years now. You had a little transition time with the previous executive director, and then you've been executive director for about two and a half years. 
And I wonder during that time, what's been perhaps the biggest surprise to you? I mean, you've been engaged and we'll talk about your background I've been in a moment. You've been engaged in Missouri Baptist life a long time, but what is what has surprised you in this new role? I've been surprised about how big of a kingdom impact a small convention or a small group of individuals can have in in God's kingdom and in our world. We never were a big convention to begin with from its inception in the early 2000s, and yet we've been able to collaborate and make networks through the Global Baptist family and have long-term really valued partnerships in Guatemala and a growing partnership in Cuba and with our connections, our member body connections with the Baptist World Alliance and the North American Baptist fellowship, leaders in the organization have been able to network and build really healthy relationships with Baptists, brothers and sisters across the, the globe, which is pretty impressive for a group our size. You mentioned the partnerships in Cuba and Guatemala, and you and I traveled together to Cuba mm-hmm. back in 2017, and you went to Guatemala earlier this year. I wonder if you could talk about those experiences and in, in working with Baptists there in eastern Cuba and western Guatemala. It's fascinating to be with our brothers and sisters in Central America and also in the Caribbean. Uh, to be honest, when I my first trip to Cuba and visiting with our church partners there in uh, Eastern Cuban Association of Churches, their convention, it was like seeing the book of Acts come alive before me. It was amazing their strategies for building up leaders and training leaders from within their ranks to become missionaries and then church starters and church planters. And they just had a really soundly biblical model of church and how to be church and how to grow and expand church. It was amazing to see that. And then the Guatemala piece, meeting the pastors and the church leaders there, I was amazed at their tenacity. It's a hard country to be the church as much as it is in Cuba, but it's different. But they are willing, they feel very much, our partners in the western part of Guatemala feel that they're kind of excluded and are out on the fringes of their country, hard to reach, that their convention that they're a part of does not always see them or uh, give attention to them. And so I very much appreciate that long-term partnership that we have, that we've consistently gone back now since the mid-2000s to be there with them and to walk alongside of them, providing practical training for their pastors and their leaders and the fact that they've not given up hope, that they continue to grow and expand God's kingdom and follow God's spirit in their own country, in their own location. Yeah, I've been there in the mountain region of Guatemala. It's kind of distant, sometimes cut off. It's also where good coffee is grown. Uh, you and I Indeed. appreciate the good coffee there from the volcanic ash of Western Guatemala. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, one of the other things that you've been engaging into this role is ChurchNet is a member body of the Baptist World Alliance. And so you've been engaging with Baptists elsewhere beyond just Guatemala and Cuba. And I wonder what that's been like in your own kind of personal call and ministry these last few years. Yeah, that's been a really, um, it's been refreshing and it's helped encourage me more. I've probably received far more from it than I have been able to give back and invest in these relationships with these brothers and sisters of ours around the globe. To be in a room and to be surrounded by individuals from over 50 countries at one time, sometimes more, sometimes less, is very powerful. And it gives me hope that the God Spirit is alive and at work around the world. And in fact, the church has been growing in the Southern Hemisphere leaps and bounds compared to what has been going on in the Western world and the Northern Hemisphere alone. So it gives me hope for the future. There's a lot to be learned from our friends around the world in the church. I know we could talk about a number of different stories from each of the meetings, but I wonder if there's one moment that particularly stands out to you as you think about Maybe it's a session or a worship or something, hearing from somebody from another country and how that's impacted you. There's so many stories to choose from. It's hard to narrow it down to to one. 
I think the last Baptist World Alliance meeting that we were at in Nassau, there were a number of stories. And one of them was uh, the sharing of some of our brothers and sisters from Venezuela and that they were able to make it to that meeting and to share with the Baptist World Alliance body or those who gathered about what their experiences were and are and the current realities on the ground in Venezuela. And the fact that they're still able to be the church in a war-torn country with such unrest politically and and militarily, but also able to like continue to plant churches as well. And we in the United States are not at war with, you know, our own states and individuals, brothers and sisters across state lines. We have, we're the one of the richest countries, if not the richest country in the world. And we have a hard time building churches and, and starting churches, growing churches. And yet our partners in Venezuela still are doing it in the midst of great turmoil and uh, oppression and persecution. So, so bringing that story back to the United States, then, you know, we're often told that we live in a post-denominational age. And as you just kind of hinted at, ministry context can be very challenging in the United States. And so in this, quote, post-denominational age, you've decided to work for a denominational body. <laughs> so I guess the question is why? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh I still think that the church, the local church, needs a myriad of partners in these complicated days, especially within the context of the United States. It's, it's complicated to be the church, and I think a church needs as many partners as it can. There's, um, there's no way in the complications for which we do ministry in our context that one partnership alone can help fulfill everything the church needs to live into its future with hope and to live into what God has called it to do. And my, my true prayer is, is that ChurchNet can become a resource, a practical resource for local churches to reach out to who are struggling with engaging their community, who are struggling with how to think strategically about the future, churches perhaps that are wanting to have someone come in and, and, and look at their organization with the new fresh eyes and perspectives. We're someone that can provide that practical on the ground help to engage in those type pieces. I know that there are a number of small churches in our state alone that have never gone and done mission trips in another country. I mean, they've done them in the United States perhaps, but never gone to another country. We can come along Alongside and help them make connections with our partners in Guatemala and Cuba. These are both locations that are fairly cost-effective to visit, close comparatively in our in our part of the world, close, easy to access. We can help them make partnerships and begin to expand their impact in God's world and God's kingdom beyond. So I hope that we can be a practical help to churches and be a viable partner to offering hope. Well, I want to back up the story and get a little bit of, of how you got here because you know your answer there about why you're working for denominational body is is very local church centered and that is where your ministry has been but before you ended up as a pastor involved in local ministry you grew up in Missouri you went to William Jewell College but you didn't go there planning to be in ministry so i wonder if you could tell us a little bit of your story uh, yeah, no, I went there as a biology major and actually graduated with a BA in biology and was headed to medical school. But then one fateful day in a chapel service, I ran into a family friend who was pastor of a of county seat church in rural southwest Missouri. And we talked about the fact that I needed a job the summer after graduation. And uh, they had an opening for a summer youth pastor gig for three months. And I took them up on that offer. It was a it was a good situation for me. And while I was there, really felt a strong calling to kind of turn directions from where I was headed and apply to seminary. And uh, and within about three months, made that shift and have never looked back since. It was a great experience. So. Not a whole lot of pastors have a 
bachelor's degree in biology, I suspect. No, that's true. That is true. I wish more of them had science backgrounds, but no, we don't. Yeah. All right. So then you went to seminary, Central Theological Seminary in Shawnee, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Actually, I went to Central back when it was on its original campus oh, in right. Kansas City, Kansas, City, Kansas. Yes. On the 29th of Minnesota location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what was that experience like then? Uh, that was fascinating. There were over, uh, of the student body that was present when I arrived as a first year MDiv Master of Divinity student, 50% of the student body were female, and there were over 21 different denominations that were represented in that student body. And we also had a diversity of uh, individuals from different countries from around the world. And so it was one of the most diverse places that I have been uh, a part of on my educational journey was at my time at Central. And you did also get a, a doctorate at mm-hmm. Luther Seminary. Yes, I decided that I needed to expand my scope beyond just Baptist circles, and so I threw in with the with the ELCA Lutherans, and uh, and uh, got a degree in congregational mission and leadership, and w- was really impressed with some of the books and the writing and the research that had been coming out of some of the faculty there and the DMIN program they had, and that with that focus really felt and really worked into my whole calling, which is to help make the church better than I found it uh, in what little time I have on this earth. would like to leave it better than, than what I experienced it growing up and, and in my uh, formative years. So that, that program allowed me to get more tools in my pastoral toolbox, and I'm very grateful for it. So you came back to Missouri to, to start doing professional ministry, I guess is the way we, we would call it. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you had, a, I mean, you can talk about them if you want. I know you were, what, First Baptist Church Independence, eventually mm-hmm. ended up in Columbia mm-hmm. at Little Bon Femme Baptist Church. And I particularly wanted to ask you about that one. You, you made a comment earlier in the episode about the churches that were kicked out. And you were pastor of one of those churches that was kicked out of the Missouri Baptist Convention there at Little Bon Femme when that happened back in the early 2000s. That's actually the first time we met was you were pastor and that experience was happening. And I was doing my graduate work at the University of Missouri and was interviewing several pastors that were experiencing that, I guess, loss of denominational affiliation. So I wonder if you could talk about that experience then as a, as a local church pastor. Yeah, so that was an interesting time. It was roughly 2006, if I remember correctly, when this was going on. Our church that I was pastoring at the time, Bon Femme, as you mentioned, was founded in 1819. So that church had existed before there ever was a Southern Baptist or Northern Baptist expression of Baptist life, which that happened in 1845. And so for us as a church, it wasn't as painful as one might think, just simply because we had existed in our history long before those divisions had ever occurred. And we had also, due to some previous leadership at the church, had kind of thrown our hat in with Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and some other partners along the way. And so when that time came, when the Missouri Baptist Convention gave us an ultimatum, either, you know, doing what they are asking us to be singly aligned with them or staying our current course, our leadership at the time said, we're going to stay the current course and continue to hold up our Baptist principles of uh, local church autonomy and governance and go forward. It's kind of interesting, you know, that you mentioned the Bon Femme will be celebrating 200 years this year. And so it's also older than the Missouri Baptist Convention, and which was in many ways birthed at the church. Right. right. And there was a kind of a meeting the year before. They said, hey, we need to do this. They came back the next year at the Bon Femme. 
officially started the convention. So that's also a little bit of interesting it I don't know, irony or somehow that you got it kicked is. out of the group that was birthed right there in the sanctuary. Yeah, it is. But we had also, the church had been kicked out of the New Salem Association back in 1835 as well, because it was not buying into the landmark movement that was happening in Baptist life across Missouri. And so that's how the Little Bonfim Baptist Association started, was because our church was excluded in those days from that group because it believed in educating clergy and sending missionaries across the globe. So it was just kind of history repeating That's itself. Right. It seems. Probably kicked out multiple times. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> not the first, not the last. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously there was a lot more to your, your ministry and your time there as a pastor. I wonder if you could talk about your experience, what you learned, what you've come to understand about ministry as, as a, a local pastor. And particularly maybe we could contextualize that Bon Femme was, was started out in a rural area of Missouri. Today it's, it's kind of on the edge of Columbia. So mm-hmm. it's it's on the edge of a, a major city. But back in the day, it was actually helped start First Baptist Columbia way off in that distant little city. Uh, and so the growing kind of city of Columbia, yeah, they right, say. Right. Yeah. So you're the oldest church in Baptist church in Columbia, but you were not in Columbia when you were started. So you're not First Baptist. So what, what in that unique ministry context, a little bit rural, a little bit urban, what did you learn about the work of the church today? Mm-hmm. Well, I learned that the the work of the church and the context of the church is always in flux and is always changing. If you were to talk to some of the old timers at the church, they remember the open country church days when the city of Columbia was quite a ways to the north, in their opinion, of the church property itself. And they were made up of mainly agricultural rural families that lived in that area. But even after a few years, I believe just a handful of years after I came to Bonfem, city of Columbia continued to grow and expand and to incorporate and expand their city limits closer to the church. And the city also, I think in 2009 or 10, broke over the 100,000 population mark as well. And so all of a sudden we found ourselves in those days on the edge of a continuing growing city. And so there were all kinds of new folks that began to come to the church that were from town, that were from the university, that were from all different contexts. And so it was a real challenge to blend all of those personalities and expectations of what church is like. And, you know, I remember when I first came to the church, they didn't have Internet service in the building. And so <laughs> we, we were able to bring that in and then eventually launch a website and do some basic things, you know, that we needed in those days. But um, a lot of changes had occurred to that point. So it's always a complicated, changing world that we live in, and it's important to stay on top of that. Yeah, it's actually something I wanted to ask you about, and you're, you're already kind of hanging there. You know, we've been talking a little bit about history as well as, you know, some of the kind of more recent or present. There's a rich history, obviously, some parts that are better than others. Mm-hmm. And, and so as we move forward in the future, how, what are, you know, these are difficult days to do local church ministry. We hear this from pastors all the time. and. What's your hope? What's your vision? What's your your desire for the future as we're kind of moving as best as we can in ministry in a 21st century context? Well, one of my hopes and prayers for the local church is that, honestly, that it begins to tell all of its story, the truth of its story and its context and its place in the world. Bonfim is an interesting example because... That church was founded in 1819. It was a year and a half before Missouri was born into the state of the Union. And then, as we know, when Missouri came into the Union, it was a border state, but it was also individuals were able to own other human beings. 
and slavery was rampant. Slavery was also, I mean, individuals were owned by early pastors and early founders of our church. And they were mentioned in the minutes that are written down. Historians have, and history professors have written the history of Bonfim, taking it from their minutes and such over the years. And the, the owned human beings are only mentioned by their first name and who owned them. That's an ugly part of our history, but it is a real part of our history, the beginning part of the history of that church. And so my hope is, is in the day and time that we live, that we begin to tell our full stories and not to, uh, to whitewash things, not to hide the ugly parts, the, that we tell the truth. And we tell the truth on a number of issues, not just that one as well. I know that it's tough. It's a part of the journey that a lot of people get very nervous about and warn their leaders, don't go there, pastor. We don't need to have this conversation. But I think it's very, if we want to continue to be good followers of Jesus and to be the body of Christ, we have to revisit our history and embrace all of it especially so we don't make those same mistakes going forward again. We tend to do that as a nation. <laughs> we tend to make cyclical mistakes like we've forgotten. There are many things that we need to remember and to, uh, to be warned not to go back to. Well, and I guess then as you are continuing then in this, this new ministry role and as you're looking forward to working with churches and helping churches and, and making this, some of these difficult transitions in the 21st century, what is it that, you know, we've talked about Guatemala, we talked about Cuba. What else at ChurchNet are you providing leadership for? That's, you know, one of the four initiative areas is missional collaboration. So what else is ChurchNet doing to help churches today in the 21st century? Yeah. Well, one of our emphasis is related around strategy and helping churches think strategically about their future. And an example of that that we get contacted with quite a bit is pastoral transition, how to find a new leader that is a good fit for that congregation and for where God is calling that congregation into its future. And so we've done a number of uh, we've worked with a number of churches over the years and continue to work and look forward to working with churches in the future uh, of how to make a good fit. There's a lot of examples in our world and in our Baptist life in Missouri and beyond of how to make bad fits between churches and leaders. Um, but we're really trying to provide a practical service there to help folks do that. Another initiative that we're working on is community engagement and, and what that means. And we have a number of churches like my former church at Bonfem, who are in very different contexts now than they were when they were founded. And some churches are only 50 years old, but for the last 25 years, they lived in a much different neighborhood than they were at their inception. And so helping churches, you know, get outside of their walls and engage the community, whatever that community may be and whoever they may look like, whatever socioeconomic level they may come from, to get out and to build relationships and build trust and to be a presence of impact for God's kingdom. So I think that's a really important piece that we're working on trying to do as well, because I know a number of churches that when you talk to their leadership, they say, well, you know, the neighborhood's a lot different than when we, when we first came, you know, 20 years ago. And we're really not sure how to engage this population group that lives in the apartment complex right next to our church. And so just providing ideas and strategies for them to work and be a part of that. Of course, poverty, food insecurity, all those myriad of issues are out there when the churches begin to listen to their neighbors and to learn of struggles and issues, issues of injustice beyond the food insecurity and all. And so helping churches understand that better, too, and to come alongside folks and work for God's justice to do what the prophet Micah calls us to do, to, to do justice, to want mercy, to walk. Walk humbly with our God to love mercy. 
And then we're also working with this whole concept of generations. Uh, you know, there are many different generations. There are immigrant generations. There are educators that are able to retire at the age of 55 and have a lot of life and energy left. Again, it goes back to our the changing communities that we live in, but helping churches that many of them are aging in their, their own church, those who show up on Sunday in the sanctuary are aging and they're struggling with how do they engage with younger generations and leaders as well. How do they open their leadership circles up to allow younger generations to come in and have a voice? That's one of our, that's our fourth focus that we're really trying to help local churches make some transitions and to uh, live into their future with hope instead of circling the wagons and doubling down on the way they've always done things. We're, we'd like to provide practical help to say, hey, this is what God has put in your back door and outside your four walls, please go and engage and follow God's spirit there. Thanks, Brian, for being on the program, but especially just for all that you've been doing. It's been a joy the last three years to work with you and to get to know you better, to count you as a friend. And I, I really appreciate the leadership and vision that you're bringing to Baptist life here in the area. You're very kind, Brian Kaler. I would say the same to you as well. I appreciate working with you and look forward to a good, hopeful future. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about ChurchNet at churchnet.org. As always, you can find us at wardenway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wardenway.org. If you have comments or feedback about the program, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. And if you'd like to give to support this program, we'd greatly appreciate it. All you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button. And whatever you give will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of the magazine, if you're not a subscriber, you can do that at wordandway.org as well. Thanks for listening.